This morning we are going to wrap up our study called The God I Never Knew. As we've looked at, at uh, the teaching of Jesus and the, the functions that the Holy Spirit serves for his disciples. And the more that, that we kind of talk about the Holy Spirit, the more we talk about God, at least I kind of get the sense of how big God really is. There was a, a young boy that came to his parents after church one day and said, you know, I, I'm confused that God, he's, he's so big that, that he can't, can't fit in the world, that he created all of this. And mom said, yes, that, that's right. But, but in class, we learn that, that God lives inside of us. Is that right? And dad jumps in and says, yes, that's absolutely right, that God lives inside of you. So, well, if he's that big and he lives inside of us, wouldn't he show through us? I think there's a lot of truth in that. That God wants to show through his disciples. September is kind of a, a fresh start in a lot of ways. It's uh, the time when our, all of our students are back in school and some of our, our kids are, are starting at a new school and it's not an opportunity for them to, to start afresh and to, to um, begin new with, with a new set of teachers, a new set of friends, to, to begin a kind of a, a new life. As we have this, this Labor Day weekend and, and you come back from work and you start to look at there, there's only a couple of months left in this year, and so the, you kind of have this opportunity to, to begin with a new energy, once again, to accomplish all that you wanted to accomplish at, at the outset of the year. And that is what we're wanting to do uh, in the, the month of September as well at church, is to take a, a fresh look at the lives that we are living and to join with the Spirit of God. In this morning's teaching, Jesus is going to pose a, a question that is slightly different than the historical question about the Holy Spirit. Historically, the, the discussion around the Spirit has been, uh, how much of the Spirit do you have and, and do I have more? You can look at, at places like 1 Corinthians where they, they, they kind of get in this, this spirit of division because they think that they have a greater a portion of the Spirit than others. But Jesus is going to introduce a bigger question for us this morning. In John chapter 4, Jesus is asked a question by a, a woman. Where are we going to Worship God. You Jews say that it's going to be here, but our people say it's going to be this place. Jesus poses a different question. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You can go to the next verse. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Keep going. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the, the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit 
and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. I'd like to encourage you to grab your Bibles, whether on your phone or you have a paper copy with you, and open up to John chapter 15. John 14 through 17 is what is known as the final discourse. It's one of the last opportunities that Jesus has to uh, teach his disciples before he is crucified and before he ascends up into heaven. And during this section of teaching, Jesus sees as one of the most important teachings that he can offer to his disciples is a teaching about the Holy Spirit. He gets pretty specific about some roles that the Holy Spirit serves for his disciples. That the Holy Spirit is going to be God's presence among his people. God so loves the world, not just that he sent his son to die for them, but he wants to live. He wants to dwell with his people. The Holy Spirit is going to teach and remind his disciples of everything that they have already learned up till this point. The Holy Spirit is going to to provide testimony to the world. The Holy Spirit is going to convict the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit will reveal to the world. And smack dab in the middle of this teaching, Jesus introduces a rather bizarre analogy, at least from our standpoint. He starts talking about about, uh, grapevines. And that seems so out of place for us, but this was a, a common understanding, a common teaching for those in Jesus' day. But Jesus, as he does so often in his teachings, he, he adds a little twist, a surprise, that would kind of shock his listeners into attention. For those that were listening to this originally, they, they were familiar with the use of a vine and branches, but for them, the vine was the nation of Israel. That the soil that they were planted in was the holy land. That, that's where the, 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 the land was so fertile that, that whenever the spies went into the land to go and scout out the territory, that they find uh, grapevines that are so large, it requires two people to carry one vine on a, a, a stick between them. Now, I've gone to the grocery store a time or two, and I've seen some pretty good-sized grapes, but I have yet to see a grapevine that was that large. But that's what they had. And so they often use this to talk about that, that, that if, we will, we'll, if we'll, we'll stay in Israel, that we are going to flourish just like these grapes do. But Jesus flips that. And in chapter 15 verse 1 he says that I am the true vine and my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you remain in me 
as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus says that God desires to to show through them that they bear fruit. And the key, the the way that they are going to bear fruit, Jesus says, is to remain attached to the vine, to stay connected. Twelve times in these 17 verses that we just read, Jesus uses the word remain or stay or abide. Remain. And this is different than... Uh, other ways that we may think about a relationship with God. We may think about a relationship with God as something that we kind of tap into whenever we need it and we, we unplug whenever we're, we're charged up and we're like our phones, that we have this, this kind of battery life that we can consume all on our own. But Jesus says that you, in fact, are not like that, that you are like a, a branch. And a branch cannot live apart from the vine. You can't cut the the branch off and and take it over here for a few days and then come back. It has to consistently stay attached to the vine. We read from Ezekiel earlier, as God commands the prophet to go out into this, this valley, this, this graveyard. And God commands him to speak life into them. And of course the prophet says, how am I supposed to do that? And God says that I will put my spirit into them. Remember, the word spirit is the word breath. 
You cannot live without breath inside of you. If you don't have breath in you, we say that you have expired. That you have breathed out that, that spirit. You no longer are alive. So Jesus tells his disciples as he is leaving about the Spirit, and he wants them to know that the Spirit is about remaining. He says that the Spirit remains in me. The Spirit remains in Jesus. In chapter 16, verse 14 and 15, verses we've looked at previously in this study, Jesus says that the Spirit will glorify Him, will glorify Jesus, because it is from Me that He will receive what I will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is Mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from Me what He will make known to you. There is no need to fear the Spirit because the Spirit will lead us deeper into Jesus. There was a a four-year-old girl that her mother was a dental hygienist. And uh, so the the grandmother was taking uh, the the four-year-old to go and see her mother at work to get her teeth cleaned for the first time. And the grandmother stays out in the waiting room while the the four-year-old girl goes back and climbs up into the chair. And as the mother begins to lean over this four-year-old girl and, and pull out all those intimidating instruments that she has the mask on, all that kind of stuff, the, the girl begins to get extremely anxious and says, I, I want my mommy, I want my mommy. And the mommy pulls the mask off of, her, off of her face and says, sweetie, it's me. And the four-year-old says, well, then I want Granny. And I think that's the way that we have, have kind of tended to approach the Holy Spirit is, is we say we want God with us, we want God with us, and Jesus says the Spirit is God. And then we say, oh, I, I want something else. This is too scary for me. Because we think that it's going to lead us away from Jesus. But the Spirit is only capable of speaking words that come from Jesus, that come from God. Do you notice the circularity that Jesus says that that the Godhead has within himself? That they are constantly pointing to the other. The Spirit will never lead us into heresy. To make sure that that's the case, Jesus says that you need to remain in his words. Again, in verse 7 of chapter 15, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Paul writes to the Colossian church and encourages them to let the message or the word, the logos, the word of Christ Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So these songs from the Spirit that they flow out of you as you remain in the Word 
of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite books that Max Licato has written is a, a children's book by the, the title, You Are Special. The main character of the story is this wooden boy named Punchinello, and he lives in this village of wooden people, and he's struggling to find his place within the village. All of the village, villagers, they uh, assign um, some kind of uh, credit to, to one another through the use of stickers. If they see that you are, are doing something that is of value, then they'll give you a star. If you do something that, that brings shame to you, then they will place a dot on you. Punchinello only gets dots. He's not attractive enough. He's not athletic enough. He, he can't do anything to gain anyone's approval. And then he wanders up the hill and finds his maker. And it is through spending time with his maker that he discovers that the dots begin to fall off. That's Max Licato's way of trying to, to get us to understand the value uh, in spending time with the words of your maker. Because the words of your maker, it, it provides for you an understanding of who you are and the world that you live in. A recent Barna study revealed that only 20% of people engage in the Word of God four times or more a week. We use language of, of food whenever we, we talk about the Word of God. We'll, we'll say that, that a preacher really fed us well this morning. And if that's the, the imagery that we want to use, then we have some, a lot of people that, that are struggling with eating disorders. Because we're only eating once or twice a week. And we wonder why we're, we're malnourished, why we don't have the, the stamina to endure what life is throwing at us that we don't have the, the nutrients that we need to grow and mature in faith. It's because we are not dwelling in the Word of Jesus. We're not le letting His words dwell in us richly. On September 23rd, as we kick off this fall season, we are going to begin a new study called The Good Book. As we're going to, to look at and provide assurance for us that, that what we have really is the Word of God. As we come to an understanding of what this Word does for us and begin to develop a, a, a more uh, healthy eating habit, it's going to be a great opportunity for you to invite your someone. Your someone who, who may be even skeptical about faith. So we come and wrestle with some of the significant questions in regards to the Bible. And the Bible will point us, as Jesus says, to remain in community. 
Walt Disney was a great visionary. And one of his greatest visions was of a community of people of about 20,000 or so that would live in this, this space that wouldn't have to, to deal with all of the, 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 the violence and, and disagreements and things that, that we do in our culture. He labeled this dream of his experimental prototype community of tomorrow. You know that more by its uh, shortened form, Epcot. What Disney dreamed of of being a a living and vibrant community has become a, a great place to visit. For too many people, church has become that as well. That, that it's something that we, we go to, not that we belong to. Not a, a community that we are a part of. And so we don't make any kind of commitment. We don't, we don't get to know the people that we go to a place and worship together with. Jesus says that His command, His word is to love each other as I have loved you. You cannot be a follower of Jesus in isolation. You cannot be a follower of Jesus uncommitted, unattached. It can only take place within the context of community. And I know that community is messy and, and that we kind of get in this one-upmanship. As I stated previously, historically, whenever it comes to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been a spirit of division instead of a spirit of life. And I want to suggest to you that it's because we've been asking the wrong set of questions. We've been asking a a set of questions that that lead us down one path and Jesus introduces to us a a different set of questions. Never once does Jesus say that that you, you need to have more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Never once does Jesus say What Jesus says is that you need to be asking, instead of how can I get more of the Holy Spirit, how can, or does the Holy Spirit have me? How can I give more of myself to the Spirit? Let me give you a picture of what this looks like. You may remember from several years ago, Dr. Kent Brantley a graduate of Abilene Christian who became a, a medical doctor and was one of the first Americans to get Ebola and be treated for that. You probably here were, were a part of the, the community of believers that were deep in prayer as he, he struggled with this disease and was, was being treated in Atlanta, Georgia. And we are amazed 
at the miracle that transpired. As, as he was healed. But whenever you listen to Kent describe it, that wasn't the miracle. The miracle took place years before that. It was while he was a student at Abilene Christian that he decided that he would submit his life fully to Jesus. That he would surrender to whatever the Holy Spirit had for him. The miracle is that somebody who was trained in a field that, that could make him extremely wealthy and extremely comfortable would give up all of the luxuries and, and use his life in a place that, that puts his life at risk. The, the story of Kent is not a story of Kent. It's a story of someone who has been surrendered to the Holy Spirit and points to the glory of God. So let me ask you, have you surrendered your life to the Holy Spirit? to whatever the Holy Spirit may have for you in your life to do? Are you at a point where you're willing to stay in Jesus? To, to let Him be glorified in your life? To let His story be magnified through you? I want to invite you to do that this morning. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ, or maybe you'd like the prayers of those that are gathered here, some of our shepherds will be at the back of the, the worship center here, and I'll be at the front as we stand and worship together.